Thank you for listening to the Competition Committee podcast, where we make sports more fun for the fans. Check out new podcasts every Thursday. Welcome back inside the Competition Committee. I'm your host, Parker. Joining me, as always, is JJ. In this episode, we've got some fun Quick hitters to start off, start off the show. We're going to play a game called High Leverage, True or False. Discuss a way to make starting pitchers more important in Major League Baseball. We are going to review our bold predictions and, of course, dig into our email bag. Before we jump right into our first segment, let's bring in our third committee chair, Mr. Campbell. Quick question for you, sir. What stinks more being a nurse? Cleaning up a patient's stinky BM or the NFC South with the Bucks, Saints, Panthers, and Falcons in the same division? <laughs> I don't think it's possible to get any more stinky than that. It's it's always the <laughs> NFC South, forever and always. I feel like ever since Tom Brady, even when Tom Brady was in this division, it was just so stinky, and this year in particular, it is extra stinky. Let's jump right into our quick hitters to start off the show. JJ, do you have the timer ready? I do have the timer ready. Three, two, one, let's go. Quick hitter number one, the NBA is considering adding two teams likely located in Seattle, Washington, and Las Vegas, Nevada. Thoughts, gentlemen? I, I personally like the Seattle edition just because of Supersonics. I think that's a little bit of nostalgia for some diehard NBA fans. Mm. Vegas, I'm not as happy about. I think if you're adding someone in the West, you got to add somebody in the East. So I was thinking, I think Lexington, Kentucky is a great spot to add it. You got the big college there. You got some, some some good fan base there. So I think go east and go west. Wow, Lexington. That's interesting. I was thinking yeah. that Nashville would be a good addition. Nashville has supported its professional teams well, and it's a big city now. It's not quite as big as Atlanta, but it's close. Yeah. I understand the desire to get in Kentucky because Kentucky is such a basketball state. But you know, there was an ABA team in Louisville before the merger, and Louisville's a much bigger city. Mm. Louisville, Lexington, called the Kentucky Colonels like the old days. That's probably a good idea. Mm. The Colonels. I mean, I don't get the Las Vegas hate. I mean, there's no way the NBA is missing out on putting a team in Las Vegas. Every franchise they put in Las Vegas succeeds. I'm assuming the Oakland A's. When they move to Las Vegas, they're going to succeed. So there is absolutely no way the NBA is going to miss out on putting a team there. So, But I mean, what do you define as success? High attendance, fan base, and interaction. And dollar, dollar, dollar bills. I guarantee you. I mean, even the Summer League, when it goes to Las Vegas, the Summer League brings in money, which is absurd because you get like one good game out of every Summer League team that plays. So I think Parker's right. There's no way they're not going to wind up in Vegas. But I think it's unfair to maybe some better fan bases across the nation. Las Vegas works because there's so many tourists that come in and are cheering for the other team. People like to travel to Las Vegas. Basketball players in particular, money and what's available in Las Vegas, they may have some trouble there. We made our hundred or our 120 seconds. So I guess I'm next. All right, you're up. Josh McDaniels, of course, got fired last week. And apparently the way he was fired is very interesting. 
Josh McDaniels, as you might imagine, really gets into Halloween. So he dressed up like Mark Davis. And if you've seen Mark Davis, Mark Davis is an odd looking fellow. So Mark Davis took it in stride that he had he had dressed up like that and even ordered him P.F. Chang's, which is his favorite place to eat. And they took photographs of him sitting there eating P.F. Chang's dressed like Mark Davis. Then Mark Davis said, hey, open your fortune cookie. He opened his fortune cookie and it read, you're fired, hot shot. That's how Josh McDaniels found out he was fired. And that is a great story. I heard it initially on the Tony Kornheiser show, told Parker about it, and he looked into it, and unfortunately, he found out something. It's fake. That was not surprising that that story was fake. When you told me that, JJ, there is absolutely no way that I thought they put that little piece of paper in the fortune cookie that said he was fired. There was no way. Well, you can't imagine he couldn't afford to have it done. Of course he could have it done. And he looks like a jerk. So I assumed he behaved like a jerk. And it would be a great story if it was true. I definitely think that would be a top story of all time if it was true. But I don't really want to talk about that. I want to talk about just Mark Davis looking weird because I think that's the highlight of the story mm-hmm. true. I think he's from the same race of lizard people <laughs> that like Zuckerberg's from. Yes. So whatever planet they're from, there's some interesting looking species up there. But yeah, that would have been a crazy story if those lizard people got one on McDaniels like that. Well, we do need to give credit to Eric Solenberger of Barstool Sports because he tricked a lot of people, including me. Next up, we have the Michigan Wolverines being in the news. They are in the middle of a what some people are calling a sign-stealing cheating scandal centered around Harbaugh and his assistant who is exclusively hired on to steal signs of the opposing college football teams. And this specific person is named Connor Stallions. Connor Stallions has a history. I believe he was a military guy deciphering signals, deciphering a bunch of different things to, I don't know the, ins and outs of this, but he's an expert in deciphering things like this and stealing signs. Well, let's talk about a couple of things. First of all, if you were going to make up a name for a villain, uh, Connor Stallions is an excellent name. But he (laughs) wasn't just in the military. He went to the Naval Academy, graduated from the Naval Academy, became a captain in the Marines, highly thought of, highly respected, and... He was hired as a signal analysis, which isn't against the rules. You're allowed to try to figure out what your opposing team is doing in college football, but you're only allowed to use televised tape, things that show up on television or things that you can observe in your game. You're not allowed to scout other games. And that was the problem, of course, is that he sent people to scout other games And you wondered if he maybe even didn't think it was a big deal because there's a record of him buying over 30 tickets in his own name that were available for will call for his spies to go in and take video of the opposing teams that he before they played them. This is absolutely ridiculous that this is a story, Okay, This rule is so 
outdated. I'm sure this was a rule that was made in the 1900s where they were trying to stop people with these big old cameras going to other games. I mean, I can go to a game right now, find a seat, just like Connor Stallions was doing, get out my camera, record some video, take a picture. I mean, am I sign stealing? I mean, what's going on here? The, the reason the rule exists is because small colleges, the NCAA, ruled that small colleges would be at a big disadvantage. So scouting is against the rules in college football, any scouting. So you cannot send scouts to your opponents before you play them the way you can in the NFL. So they're breaking a rule. Whether the rule should exist or not, I don't know. But they clearly are breaking a rule. I just like to imagine this guy walking around like with like a little like spy cam in his tie and going around like shaking everybody's hands and just being total like a super obvious about it, non like not even like being discreet and just kind of being kind of a loser. And that's how it makes me chuckle thinking about it. Hey, let's finish maybe on a little bit of a conspiracy theory. His salary is $55,000 a year. His parents are high school, I should should say middle school teachers. So he doesn't come from money. He makes $55,000 a year and his house is valued at $485,000. How'd that happen? He's taking a playbook out of Nancy Pelosi. Here we go. On the next one, we have... Marcus Jordan, the son of Michael Jordan, dating Larsa Pippen. And I believe Larsa Pippen is... Is the ex-wife of Scottie Pippen. Ex-wife of Scottie Pippen. Got it. Okay. This sounds messy. This is very messy. Together they have a podcast that's called Separation Anxiety, where they talk about their love and how they can't be apart from each other. She is a reality television star who has starred on Real Housewives of Miami, as well as a couple of other shows. She's 49 years old. He's 32 years old. Now, let's talk about the age just for a second. Somehow, when I was 49 years old, I found myself single. And I wanted to follow all of the rules. And the rule for age is you take your age, you divide it by two, and you add seven. That's the age that you're allowed to date. So for me, I happen to also be 49, the same age she is. Take 49, divide by two, add seven. 31 and a half is as young as you can date. And she is dating someone who's 32. So that is in the age limit. So that's acceptable. The other thing that's interesting, just because I was paying attention to both ends, I was also, uh, it was also appropriate for me to date someone who was 84 years old, because that woman could take her age, divide it by two and add seven and date a 49 year old. So anyway, golden years. So anyway, the age is, is the limit, but probably acceptable. Of course, we've got to remember, this is probably the most famous duo in sports of all time and they plum don't like each other anymore and now <laughs> michael jordan's son is dating scotty's ex-wife <laughs> yeah to me that's the funnier thing about this story honestly and like you know i mean the age is significant but to me that's not the thing that makes my jaw drop it's just the fact that it's jordan pippen and i watched a lot of uh the Pablo Torre finds out podcast and i was watching when they were interviewing them 
And to me, it just, I don't know, the Larissa Jordan thing, it just, it almost feels like something, a stunt that Kardashians would try to pull, you know? It doesn't seem authentic. It seemed, it seemed like it's just the next publicity stunt to get their name out there, to sponsor a new product, to make their next couple hundred million dollars into whatever. And they'll get divorced in six months. So I don't know. I hope I'm wrong for their sakes and for the sakes of our country, but it didn't seem really authentic to me listening to them talk to each other and interact with each other. But you, you think our country's at risk because they're dating? I think our country's at risk because of people like the Kardashians. <laughs> That's why I think our country's at risk. Brooklyn, I know we're probably out of time with this segment, but how do you start a relationship like that? Obviously, they must have known history of themselves and – Okay, well, you're the ex-wife of my dad, so I think this can work. Let's try it out. Like, well, how do you even start this? What are you doing for dinner? You've got to listen to their podcast because it's odd. They said they just they met and they're just friends, but within four days, he knew he was in love with her. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. Well, okay, then. We're going to segue into our review of bold predictions from last week. My bull prediction last week was that the USF Bulls were going to defeat the Memphis, and I don't even know their mascot's name. I know they're blue. Memphis. The Tigers, right? Yes, the Memphis Tigers. Thank you, Campbell. That was a plus 450 Moneyline wager that I did not get right. JJ, what was your bull prediction? Well, I knew we were headed to Game 7 in the World Series. Of course, I was wrong. By it only went to Game Five, and anyway, I was I was long wrong by a long ways because the Rangers were much better in this series, so I was wrong. Indeed, Campbell. Yeah, I was pulling one out for the home team. I thought my Magic were going to work a little magic over in mm. LA against the Clippers, and they turned out. To not do that. My defense, you know, James Harden did get traded to the Clippers that same day. He didn't play it, but still, you know, he stroked fear into the hearts of the Magic players, I think. It's more of a you know, a mental game for him. So I was wrong there. That and they also came off a back-to-back the night before against the Lakers. So I'm sure playing the Lakers and the Clippers back-to-back isn't a favorable outcome for a East Coast team. But nonetheless, yes, the Magic did lose that game. We will get to our... Current bull predictions towards the end of the show. But for right now, we're going to take a brief break and come back and play high leveraged, true or false. Parker, why are you wearing those silly orange glasses? Oh, these? These are my new Google glasses. Everything I look at is instantly uploaded to the internet. Google Glass. Get a pair of Google Glasses and join our rapidly growing community, affectionately known as Glassholes. Parker's handed me the mic and we're going to play a game of high leveraged true or false. I don't need to explain the rules because you boys know them and we've got smart listeners. Okay, Campbell, pick a number one to eight. Start with number one this week, JJ. Great choice. Number one, to protect the venues from militants and wild animals during the 2010 Commonwealth Games in New Delhi, India, 
Authorities deployed sniper units, soldiers using surface-to-air missiles, soldiers using anti-aircraft guns, and 38 trained Langer monkeys. True or false? And before... Um, I'm going to go true and one. True and one, and it is true, and you got a point. So... You're you're up front. Okay. You let those monkeys loose. That's a problem. Okay. Parker, pick a number. Eight. Number eight. It could be argued that O.J. Simpson's most dominant athletic performances were not on the football field, but instead on the Battle of the Network Stars from 1980 until 1984. O.J. Simpson won every event he entered, bringing five consecutive championships to ABC television. Wow. I thought you were going to say his most athletic performance was running away from the cops. I'm going to say <laughs> false and leverage it at two. You are correct. Boom! He, he was on Battle of the Network Stars, and he did play for ABC – but he did not win every event he entered. Two, three, four, five, six, or seven, Campbell? Four, please. Number four. Fran Tarkington, the Hall of Fame quarterback for the 1970s Minnesota Vikings, had three sons. His youngest son also his youngest son was also a professional athlete who is in the Professional Bowlers Association Hall of Fame in Arlington, Texas. True or false? True. Two. That guy can throw some rocks. Two. That is incorrect. Wow. Tarkenton. I have no idea if he has sons. Mm. Well, if he does, then he bullies. I thought he had a few daughters. Don't pick one, four, or eight. Give me seven. Number seven. In 2016, eight years after retiring and blowing through $120 million he had been paid during his career, the then nearly broke Scottie Pippen found an uncashed check from Nike in a suit coat pocket for $860,000. True or false? Yeah, give me a leverage this of four when I say that's false. That is correct. It is, it is false. Boom. Apparently he did blow through his $120 million, but how did you know it was false? Because I thought it was so clever when I made it up. Oh, no. This is, it was around $150,000, not $160,000. <laughs> I was thinking the check seemed pretty egregious for the time. <laughs> pretty atrocious, if you ask me. Abominable. So right now the score is... Six to one. You know what that means, JJ, don't you? It's time for you to come back. That's right. You're good at this game. We need to play this game. That's a point for JJ. Two, three, five, or six? Five. Number five. In, in 1859, Amherst played Williams in the first ever intercollegiate baseball game. Amherst won by a score of 73 to 32. Is a baseball game? Is this what you do before you go to bed? You just think of these crazy scenarios and just pull outlandish numbers. 
and think, how am I going to make Campbell scratch his head and look like a fool on a podcast? That's a good game. I want to go. I'm going to go four. I'm leveraging four. I'm going swinger for the fences here, like Amherst did to put the whooping on those guys from Williams, and that's true. No way. It is true. What? Mm. How? How in the world you had a score of seventy three to thirty two in a baseball game? They're playing a bunch of quadriplegics or something. <laughs> well, the other skate team scored thirty two. That's it's not nothing. <clears throat> okay. You got two, three, or six. Six. Number six. In two thousand and eight. The Toronto Star reported that 60% of retired NBA players go broke five years after their NBA paychecks stop arriving. You said 60%? Yes. Seems a little low. Um, I'm going to leverage this a one and say false. And then I'm going to incorporate another game and I'm going to say higher, over. <laughs> Well, it's true. I, I, I can't confirm the number, but I can confirm that the Toronto Sun reported this. I don't oh. know how they know it. Okay. So the score right now is six to five. There are two left. Campbell, two or three? Three. Number three. DC issued the Superman versus Muhammad Ali comic book in 1978. The plot dealt with hostile aliens, but the real highlight was a sparring match where the trash-talking Ali whooped Superman. True or false, and all you have left is a three. Man. Tuffy. All-time showdown. That would be an all-time showdown. I just have a hard time seeing DC write a comic where their main guy loses. But Muhammad Mm. Ali was kind of that guy. He was that I'm feeling risky. Take me to the crap table in Las Vegas to see the new NBA team. I'm saying true. I'm wagering three. That is correct. You now have the lead. Eight to six. A lot of pressure here, Parker. And it's going to come down to this last one because you have a three available. Okay, this is question number two or statement number two. An NFL lineman can shed up to nine pounds of water weight during a game. False. Nine pounds. It's ten. <laughs> it's true. Sorry. It's true. Because I, uh, I listened to that true? on the, the Sunday night. I think Chris, or Chris Collinsworth said that, or Mike Tirico said that on the broadcast la- last night. He said that last night? Yeah. I wrote this question. I wrote this thing like two weeks ago. Somehow they have access to my true or false games. <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? It is true. So Boom. you win. Thank you, Mike Tarico. <laughs> I feel like someone's got to be stealing these things, and like maybe we get Jim Harbaugh's got his guy in here sending these things to. <laughs> that way, Parker always wins. <laughs> yeah, sign stealing. That is a close game, uh, Parker. You've won nine to eight. Let's go to break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at making starting pitching more important. Parker, why didn't you take your phone with you on that flight to Dallas? Well, I have the Samsung Galaxy Note 7, and TSA won't let me take it on a commercial flight. Samsung Galaxy Note 7. 
Less than 36 of our phones have burst into flames since we introduced them two weeks ago. Welcome back inside the competition committee. We are going to be talking about making starting pitching in the MLB become more important to the games. JJ, what is your idea? I think we all agree that starting pitching is not as important as it used to be. The Diamondbacks had a bullpen game in the World Series. That just almost seems, doesn't seem right, that's for sure. It is it, baseball is a lot more fun when you have one guy trying to get a lot of people out and you don't just have one pitcher after another coming out of the bullpen that you don't know. I had this idea, and I shouldn't say I had this idea. I heard this idea, but I was going to take it to an extreme. What I was going to propose was that the teams limit the number of pitchers they can carry to 10. They currently can carry 13. Two years ago, they could carry 14. And it's already been cut to 13, but still that leaves a lot of bullpen pitchers. There is some talk about moving that to 12. I was going to propose they move it all the way to 10 to make it extreme so that you've got four starting pitchers and then you've got six relievers that you've got to figure out how to use in a series or in regular baseball. I thought that was a great idea, but then I heard an idea that's better. I stole the first idea but I'm not actually going to propose as a rule change. I stole the second idea, but this is brilliant. It's called the double hook. So we all know that the DH exists in both leagues now. Here's the concept. When you pull your starting pitcher, you also pull your designated hitter. So now the relief pitchers have to bat. So that gives a manager incentive to keep his starting pitcher in longer so that he can get more designated hitting usage out of his designated hitter. What do you guys think? So you're pulling the DH and so the pitcher has to bat? That's right. So the DH is only for the starting pitcher. As soon as the starting pitcher is out of the game, there is no DH. I like it. I mean, the reason they're not extending their pitchers as much as they used to is – in my opinion, due to the analytics, anytime a pitcher goes three or four times through the lineup, you know, the hitters are getting a read on the pitcher and they're getting a lot more hits and the matchups are just all pitching is, is about matchups. And so they're trying to get the best matchup for the right hitter. And this little wrinkle into their plan would create a lot more leverage situations on, Okay, this not this might not be the best matchup per se, but do I want to risk pulling my one of my best hitters off the lineup in order to get this one guy out? So it adds a lot more thinking into the game. I, I like this idea. Well, it's interesting. You know, pitchers have most pitchers are on a count now, a pitch count, and they get pulled after a certain number of pitches. But I've heard experts talk about this. What pitchers are doing now is they are throwing as hard as they can every pitch that they're in. And there's a lot of belief that that actually adds to injury. If you were a starting pitcher and you know you had to go six innings or seven innings, you would not be able to throw every pitch as hard as you can. You'd have to be working on getting people out 
instead of just pitching fast. The other thing this would do, this will put more people on base because if the pitchers can't throw their best stuff continuously, then more people will get on base. And then again, that's what MLB is trying to do. They want a game that is more infield focused. So what happens after they, they pull their starting pitcher and so they're on their relief pitcher, what happens when they want to pull their relief pitcher for another relief pitcher? It doesn't matter anymore. Okay. This wouldn't impact how many relief pitchers you put in. It would just Okay. It would just keep you you would have one more incentive to keep your starting pitcher in longer. I I don't know. I think the only scenario I mean, I guess there's a couple, but the scenario that I see in my head where this really changes is if you have like, well, let's say you got your starting pitcher out there and he gives up five runs and two innings, you know, he's going to get pulled straight off the gun anyway. And then there's no point, you know, it's like nothing's really changed because they would have pulled that guy anyway if he's giving up five runs and two innings. But I see what you're saying. It's essentially kind of almost devolving baseball back to when the NL didn't have DHs and the pitcher had to bat. So, I mean, it's kind of a fun idea. I don't think we'd see, like, pitchers all of a sudden. I don't think we'd see every pitcher become Shohei Otani, but we might see some surprise home runs and ball placement and stuff like that. I mean, the idea is, and one of the things that Major League Baseball cares about, it would make starting pitching, it would make those guys bigger stars, bigger names. And they and they need stars. The MLB needs stars. So if you had guys like Nolan Ryan who could pitch consistently – six or seven innings, you're going to see them in a lot more, that they become a star in a way that the current pitchers aren't becoming as big a stars. There's lots of good reasons if you want starting pitching to stay, starting pitchers to stay in longer. I'm trying to think of ways to poke holes in this and cross-examine, and but I, I honestly can't. I like this idea. I mean, the only thing I could possibly think of is maybe have a inning limit of – Okay, yes, if the pitcher goes a full of six innings, he's reached his threshold where he doesn't – if he gets pulled, then you don't have to pull your DH. But, I mean, that would be my only suggestion to it is have a threshold. Yeah, I like that idea too. That seems kind of fun. That would almost be more incentive because if you get your pitcher through the sixth inning, then you get to keep the DH the entire game. That's even more incentive to not pull your pitcher. Yeah. I like that so much, I'm going to change my rule. So here is the rule that I am proposing. It is, I guess, what's called the double hook rule. If a pitcher gets pulled before the end of the sixth inning, that team loses the DH through the end of the game. If the pitcher makes it Mm -hmm. through the sixth inning, they get to keep their DH through the end of the game. So that pitcher is going to have to wear it, as they say, you know, Sometimes the manager will tell the starting pitcher, hey, regardless if you give up 10 runs in the first inning, you're going to have to wear it, which means we're not pulling you out. We need you to go a bunch of innings regardless of how much you get beat up. You're going to have to wear it. Sorry if it's going to hurt your ERA, but you just have to go out there. and, and I'm, They'll still they'll it. still pull pitchers. They'll just do it less. Yeah. No. I like it. Shall we take a vote? I think so. Okay. I will start off. It is almost perfect. I will give it a nine. JJ? Well, I stole the idea from somebody else. Parker made it slightly better. I'm giving it a 10. 
I think I'm just going to give the baseball purist a little bit of a voice here. I really do like the rule, but not enough to give it more than a six, I think. But I think it is a rule that could be implemented in the future. This would detriment the Tampa Bay Rays greatly because they do not like extending their... Parker, did you say eight or nine? I can't remember. I gave it a nine. 8.3. It makes it. Okay. Coming your way, Manford. Rob Manford will be receiving this letter in the mail. Hopefully he can review it in his next competition committee hearing. All right, folks, we're going to take another brief break. When we come back, we are going to give out our bold predictions, dig into our email bag. Stay tuned. Parker, do you have any idea how we can promote our podcast? I have the perfect way we can spend our advertising budget. We'll buy a full-page ad in the Yellow Pages. Yellow Pages. Let your fingers do the walking. Attention! Attention! It's time for our bold predictions. If you like mediocre picks, this is your segment. Alrighty, bold predictions. I will lead us off with my bold prediction. Going back to the NFL well, I'm going to take the, in my opinion, the best defense in the NFL going against the Baltimore Ravens. Going to take the Cleveland Browns to defeat the Baltimore Ravens straight up on the money line, plus 200. This is a great divisional game. Although the Ravens are at home, I expect the weather to be gloomy, maybe a little bit of rain, maybe some cold thrown in there, a perfect low-scoring affair for the defense to, especially the Browns' defense, to dominate. I expect it to be a low-scoring affair. And in the end, the Browns to become victorious. So Cleveland Browns defeating the Ravens plus 200. That is my bold prediction. Campbell, you're up next, sir. What you got? Oddly enough, I'm going to the NFL as well. I think I think the Seahawks are one of the most fraudulent teams they got in the league right now. So I think the Commanders are going to stick one to them next Sunday at 425. They're plus 215, and that game's in Seattle. So I'm going Commanders, plus 215. Perhaps Geno Smith Geno Smith will throw another stinker, and you might have a shot. I like it. Well, I've been failing at baseball, but the season's over. I haven't gotten an NFL correct yet. I did get one Formula One correct, but I missed like three or four of them as well. But I haven't done any college football yet, so I'm perfect in college. <laughs> so I'm going to go to college and see if I can ruin that. The Tennessee Vols play the Missouri Tigers or the Mizzou Tigers this week. The over-under is 59, but I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. If I take the under all the way to 52, it can be a, it's a plus 200. So I am going to say that okay. that game is going to have less than 52 points. That is a bold prediction because the Tennessee Volunteers alone last game scored 59 points themselves. Did you see who they played? They played UConn. UConn sent their women's basketball team there to play. <laughs> if that's the case, they might have had a close game because that UConn women's basketball team is a great team. So I was thinking. Alrighty, so let me just recap. My bold prediction, Browns defeating the Ravens. Campbell's got the Commanders over the Seahawks. 
And JJ has the Vols under 52. Good luck, gentlemen. Let's dig in our email bag here. We have three emails to share with you guys. Our first one is from Dan from Oakland, California. He writes, gentlemen, on last week's podcast, Campbell offered that the only way to motivate NFL players to play hard in the All-Star game was money. JJ countered that money doesn't motivate them because they're already rich. Here's what would motivate them. Each player on the winning team gets a special edition NFL All-Star Game McLaren 750 Supercar, and the losers get nothing. The cars start at $330,000 a piece, but I'm sure the All-Star Game edition would get them up to a half a million dollars. I think this motivates them in two ways. First, even though they are rich, many of them are wise enough not to get this kind of a purchase. So this would be a way that they get the car that they would want, and also feel good about the way they handle their own money. Second, it would be a kind of like a Super Bowl ring. When players saw them driving it, it would make them feel like they are an all-star. Dan from Oakland, California. I'm going to start off with saying we do have some cases of NFL players causing negative media attention for the way they drive these super fast cars. I know Henry Ruggs, was in a bit of trouble when he crashed his super expensive sports car. I think he was driving down Las Vegas Boulevard going 100 miles an hour and killing people in his sports car. It might not be the best way to hand out prizes, but who knows? Maybe they can be a little bit more responsible. Yeah, this car's got a top speed of 230 miles an hour. It's pretty fast. 230 miles an hour for a production vehicle. And they are, they are very cool. I guess I'll make the argument. You know, last week I was trying to make the argument, Campbell, that money doesn't motivate them because money doesn't actually change their life the next week. I think if you did give somebody a car, it changes their life that evening. That evening they're driving home in a very, very cool car. And I don't know. It's extremely hard to motivate football players, but there are some of them that would be motivated by getting to take a car away from somebody else and have it themselves. Yeah. I think it, I think it definitely could be a step towards something. My initial thought was, you know, I wonder if McLaren likes this idea because I feel like this would almost drive the value of their cars down because now you're getting a bunch of McLarens out there that are the same, that look the same for a certain group of people. You know what I'm saying? Like kind of just get more out there makes them not as valuable and not as rare, not as much of a commodity. And then second, I wonder if the players would think it was kind of cheesy that they all have like matching cars. I'm thinking almost like a matchbox. I understand this mm-hmm. car is like a sexy, like, you know, it's a it's a piece of machine that can do some crazy things. But you kind of get what I'm saying where they almost feel like they're, they're kids. Like, oh, here's your toy car. Congratulations on winning a game that could cost you your life. But I think it could be <laughs> a step towards something that's, you know, better than flag football game we had last year. But this does sound like something that somebody from Oakland, California would suggest. Probably drinking their <laughs> yerba mate and eating a gluten-free bagel when they send this email. <laughs> mm. I think you're thinking of San Francisco. I think Oakland is a, is a working man's town. I think so. I think I'm in California mixed up. All righty, next email. Well, hey, I think we should that, – that's a, that's a rule change. I think we should vote on it. Okay. I will start due to – 
recent events and the potential for negative pub- publicity, I will give it a five. Campbell? I'm, I'm sticking with my gut. I'm going to give it a five as well, Parker. I'm going to give it an eight because we have this stupid rule that I can't give it a seven. But, <laughs> but either way, it's not going anywhere. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate the email. Enjoy the mate. Yeah, Dan, let us know if Oakland is a working man's town or if it's a hoity-toity herba mate drinking town. All right, this email is from Ben from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Boys, last couple podcasts have considered the NBA All-Star Game and the NFL All-Star Game, but there has been no mention of the MLB All-Star Game. This is probably because the MLB All-Star Game works. I have a theory. It works because baseball is primarily skilled activities performed as remotely. This creates a condition where every player can make a full effort without pushing, pulling, shoving, or hitting another player. What do you think? Yeah, I think our I think our friend here from Pittsburgh is onto something. I I think really, like you said, the MLB All Star Game is only about the one that's worth watching. It's fun. I personally don't want a whole lot of change in it, so I I think that you know we leave it as is. Don't go stirring up a hornet's nest because it's fun. Like you said, as you see guys that are it almost feels like the World Baseball Classic. You know, like when you watched a little bit of that this summer, it was intense, and this was even before it was even more intense than almost the World Series. You could argue because you had the best players from their representing their countries competing for their country's pride, for their pride. And it's kind of the same thing in the all-star game, just on a smaller scale. So I think that's why it's so much fun. It's also because the has implications for the world series. Like if your league wins the all-star game, you get to have the extra home field advantage, whether NHL, NBA or NFL, it doesn't really incorporate any advantage for their conference. Parker, I'm going to argue that that's pretty minor. Most of these guys are not going to the World Series, so they don't have a personal interest in it. But I think you're right. If you look at the NBA All-Star Game, what happens is until the fourth quarter or the last half of the fourth quarter, nobody plays any defense. They don't play any defense because they don't want to they want to go out there in, in what's essentially a a backyard basketball game and start hitting people and, and knocking them down and playing ugly, which is what you have to play when you're really playing basketball. So I think that they're right. These guys can show off their skills and they don't have to they don't have to be a jerk about it with the other the guys on the other team the way they you do in basketball or football when you're really playing. Makes sense. But you're right. We shouldn't touch it. It it works. It's the it's the only one that does work. And it's kind of like a an event too. You know, you got the home run derby and the celebrity softball game. It's it's a cool thing that the NBA is trying to incorporate as well with their. You know, I know they do the slam dunk contest and whatnot, but it just seems like the whole all star festivities is much more viewer focused and a lot more people tune in to watch the MLB all-star game than the NBA festivities. I will say the one caveat to this, that the MLB MLB has an advantage on against these other two organizations is that at their all-star game, the risk of injury is substantially lower than it is in these other two games. And if you look at, you know, the NFL and the NBA, sure you can make the argument baseball too, but those two in particular injury, and rest is so important. It's kind of the same thing what he's saying. He's saying that you're 
you're not, when you're playing the game, you're not right next to somebody most of the time. So you're not going to get injured. I mean, baseball players get injured for repetitive injuries, not really from hitting each other. He's right. It works. And there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we, and I think he's pretty much right for the reason. I think Campbell added the other part to it. That's really true. Is that the risk of injury is so low. Already our last email. This is a fun one that we might need some viewer help on. Parker, the Kelsey brothers call their listeners the 92 percenters. Tony Kornheiser calls his listeners the littles. Pat McAfee calls his listeners the loyal 10,000. The competition committee needs a name for us listeners. So what are you going to call us? Tina from Newberry, South Carolina. Well, you shared this email with us ahead of time, so I had a few minutes to think about it. Based on our audience size, I think we should call we should call our listeners the dozens. <laughs> yes, that's a good one. Campbell, you got a suggestion? Yeah, you know, I think kind of piggybacking off what JJ said here, you know, there's a popular slogan slogan we see across our TV every now and again for the Marines, you know, the the, fruit, the few, the proud, the Marines. So I think we call our listeners the Marines because, you know, my goodness gracious, there's not many of them, but they do hold down that those weekly views, you know, interactive on the emails and stuff. So we appreciate you Marines salute to you. <laughs> I like it. I was thinking about it as well. Just kind of incorporating our name into it. Committee, the commies, we could call our listeners, the commies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. I think we'll get a whole lot more listeners now that we're going to start like more that. <laughs> like that any other ones that we can think of i don't know i think we need to open this up on social media and let people uh either vote for the three names that we've come up with or offer alternatives okay well on our various different social media platforms platforms we will put up a poll we need your help to vote on either the marines the commies the dozens, or if you have your own suggestion, please let us know. We'll put that out on our social media channels. Primarily, we'll try to do it on Instagram, see if we can make that work. Don't let me down, Marines. <laughs> Salute. Salute. That's going to wrap today's show. We've been trying to grow the show through reels that we post on social media by encouraging people to invite their friends, to do all the traditional stuff. We're going to change our focus a little bit. We've got this idea that we're going to try to make our show 10 people's favorite show. So we're going to focus on our content, making it as as good as possible, but we could use your input. You might be one of those 10 people that find this show to be your favorite. How do we make that happen? If you've got ideas of how we can make our show better, Please email them to us. You can also reach us on Facebook or on Twitter with ideas of how we could make our show your favorite show. If we can do that for 10 people, we think we'll grow the show organically. Again, until next week, thanks for listening to the Competition Committee, and we'll see you then. One to hold the bulb, two to spin the ladder.